my name is uh, Mary DeBorger. I'm uh, one of the client services manager here at uh, Soundtrack. Yeah, Mary. Woo! <laughs> Soundtrack. Uh, yeah, we just wanted to welcome you here on behalf of the PNYA and Soundtrack for uh, Sound Mixing 101. Um, just a little bit about Soundtrack itself. Uh, we're a full post-production sound facility. Uh, we have uh, five ADR stages, four mix stages, for those who don't know. So anything sound we can do, we do Foley, editorial, all that fun stuff. Uh, so yeah, we just kind of wanted to especially thank uh, the sound mixers and the supervising sound editors tonight who took time out of their busy, busy schedules to <coughs> give us a glimpse into their world, which is wonderful. Uh, so I just wanted to do a little rundown before we begin the evening. We're going to do three different types of sound mixing. Uh, the first one, we're going to focus on independent feature films. Uh, the second one, we're going to do uh, episodic series. And then the third one is uh, studio feature films. So we have pairs for each of those different types. And then we're going to do a question and answer uh, after the entire program is finished. So. Our first uh, duo that we're going to do is with the independent feature films, and that is with Sir Dan Brennan mm -hmm. and Rick Schnapp. Mm -hmm. Woo! I'm Dan. This is Rick. I'm Rick. What's up? What's up, guys? Uh, so basically, we'll just give you the indie rundown and how it differs from majors, which you'll hear more of from those guys there in television also. Um, so basically when we start an indie project, uh, we'll, I'll usually, as the supervisor, spend some time with the assistant editor and we'll go over turnover, which they'll usually give me a bunch of AAFs, they'll, they'll give me all their um, edit, their temp mix that they've done, which, it, you know, d depending on the project, could be very detailed or not detailed at all. And then it's our job to have a, a, a spotting session with the director where I'll sit down with the director, we'll watch the film from top down, and then we'll kind of figure out where, you know, what notes the director has for the sound mix. We'll go through and say we want ADR for this scene, or we want a special type of sound effects in, in this scene, or whatever it is. And, and then, as a supervisor on an, uh, on an indie film where the budget, or not, not the budget, but the timeline is kind of tight, um, I will usually end up taking on one of the editorial jobs. So for, for me, that's usually sound effects. And uh, we'll bring on some other editors, some people to cut dialogue, some, some people to cut Foley. But it's usually a, a pretty pared down team. It's usually me and two other people, and then Dan mixing. And the biggest difference, I think, on that kind of timeline from a uh, major timeline is that I usually don't have a lot of time to run over some uh, sound effects choices or some different things with the director. So what I'll usually do is I'll cut a bunch of different options. And then when, when we get to the stage with Dan, we kind of choose what we want to go with. Yeah, and that's the hardest part about working on kind of an, an indie set of schedule and resources is that you don't have the luxury to kind of do pre-dubs. You're not doing a lot of... Um, kind of revisiting with the director of kind of what their intent is for certain moments. Uh, 
so there are exceptions to all of these rules, of course, uh, and there are some features that, you know, say it's a monster film and you need to figure out exactly what the monster sound is going to be. We'll make sure we find time to sit there because you don't want to be chasing that on the stage. But a lot of other times, I'm relying really heavily on the editorial team, um, right. and the director is too, about that initial spotting session is really important to us because we just don't have the resources in the timeline to expand it all. Usually it's a tight, de it's a tight deadline we're trying to hit, and we need them to kind of... No, I shouldn't say we lean on them so much. It's a it's a combination between all of us. Uh, a lot of times in the indie field, there it's often young or less experienced directors. So it's it's our job as well to help kind of guide them through the process of being like, well, here, you know, what are we highlighting here? What's the story about? What are we trying to support? And we want to be dragging that out. Um, and then these guys, I'll, I'll lean on these guys a lot. We have a lot of conversations prior to mixes of down to how they lay out their editorial sessions and Pro Tools so I know what to expect on the stage to kind of even track count and right. even broad organization because anything we can save time on the stage because we're, we're doing a feature in you know somewhere between five and ten days as far as uh, our final mix and that's top to bottom there's no pre-dubs it's I get materials and we just kind of go sure. on the stage and uh, so yeah so we're you know those early meetings that you guys have uh, have a big influence going down and a lot of it also is just about prioritizing uh, with the compressed schedule and compressed resources. It's finding out really kind of where that story really lives and making sure we're prioritizing through that. Even once we're on the stage, we'll roll in passes where we kind of, you know, we kind of sit and sit dialogue in a scene, effects and backgrounds, roll music in, and kind of make sure it's playing. And if it's if it's kind of in the pocket. We kind of go, and then we, by the end of the day, we try to roll back and kind of watch that whole reel down and make sure we're kind of make sure the story's there because we could spend you know a week on a reel, but normally we're trying to get through it in a day. Um, and you know, and, and these change. We, you know, we've done festival mixes where we have to knock the whole thing out in a couple days. To right. sometimes we have you know two two plus weeks, which is luxurious for us if right. we get that kind of time to work through. Um, Sometimes it's just a temp mix where we just mix what the picture editor gives us. You know, we'll just bring up their AEF and mix their, their tracks yeah. where we don't have time to add anything. And or they'll say, well, we just want to add this one section, so then I'll work on just a couple scenes. And that's a common misconception that we deal with with uh, younger or first-time uh, directors or uh, even from the editorial side where people say, oh, we just need a mix. Right. You know, we, we get a lot of independent films where it's the first time kind of even pursuing. Right a full sound package and they say oh well you know we're done like our, our edits, edits there it's all can you, can you guys just you know make sure the music's not too loud and push it right. through and we need to kind of educate them a little bit kind of on the process of rolling through of how we go through and pull out all the sound and re-edit the dialogue completely and build all the backgrounds build all the effects and, and how all that does help to support their story and does make for the product that you kind of expect to hear Sometimes a lot of the first-time guys don't really know what a dialogue edit is when we get through the whole thing and, and how much that really changes things. Or, you know, they think that the sound effects that the picture editor cut in are final and we're not going to add anything. You know, it's all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's a lot of those decisions get made on, on the stage that we go back and forth between. And it's, it's always a balance with, with the independent projects as far as what we're spending time on. Right. Because um, there's only so many resources available, um, and we want to make it the best experience from the audience audience standpoint and so that the story is really coming across right um, I mean we're, we're, we were talking about this a little bit earlier about the the you kind of had this choice between kind of safe and sexy decisions sometimes too where you may be inspired by something in the story or in the edit that you may want to try whether it's editorial or I've run into it on the stage um, and sometimes you 
you don't want to be too, this may sound like a weird critique, but you don't want to be too adventurous at times because you don't want to kind of chase the rabbit because you don't want to spend the next three hours chasing an idea that may not make it into the cut because that was just almost half a day. You just blew on a really neat idea, but you don't have time to really explore all that. Right. Um, and that's, you know, it's it's that kind of, uh, it's it's constraints within the, within the medium when you're working on that scale where sometimes you have, we'll play a clip um, in a minute where there was, what had happened was you'll see the main character gets pulled into the water with a bully he's been dealing with all, all film he's having flashbacks to different things that happened throughout the feature and we wanted that to resonate we wanted to pull a lot of different pieces of sounds from earlier in the film kind of within the underwater sequences to kind of bring you back there and we did that a little bit but this was something that we started to pursue on the stage and realized that this was a really really intricate very layered idea but we would have needed almost a whole nother day to really make right. it sell right um, so we highlighted moments. We kind of pick, pick and choose just certain things to kind of make sure they sell, and kind of went with there. And it you know supports the story. Uh, I, mean, I think it sounds great, but it's yeah. it's one of those ideas that you can kind of chase the rabbit and just end up losing a day doing those ideas, and you don't have the time for it. Right. Um, but and this whole sequence was something you and Jim had talked about initially, design wise. Rick had done a bunch of editorial and design work initially. He brought it to the stage. Um, I kind of just expanded on top of what you guys did right. on top of that with Jim's direction and mm -hmm. I probably knocked out the end sequence and this is kind of the climax of the film so yeah it got a little bit more love so we got like three hours or so right. and probably ended up with it pretty close to where it, it lives now. Yeah yeah um, all the sound effects in the sequence came straight from the spotting session and that's why that's so crucial for, for an indie film to make sure the spotting session is very detailed when you go through with with the director so they say this is exactly what we want in this part, exactly what we want in, in this scene, because we just have limited time. We'll uh, turn it over to Bob and Lewis for talking about episodic. Wait, I have a okay. question. When do we when do we do the Q and A's? All the way at the end? If there's stuff specific, yeah, done. We don't know how long that'll take. I, I could totally wait. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super <laughs> easy going. Questions. <laughs> I was into that. Enjoying that. I don't know about it. Somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah, that was really cool. That was nice. Good job, guys. Sorry, I didn't mean to seem overzealous there. I'm going to make a quick comment about about that. Um. Because I have done independent films too. Oh, let me first apologize. I am getting over a cold. So, uh, sorry, my throat is a little hoarse. Um, uh, Bobby, maybe you could say me with some EQ in my voice. Um, the throat filter. But, you know, independent films really j don't have a lot of money, people starting out. Um, and what these guys can do with sound, which they have at this disposal in the library can really bring it to life in a way and to bring it to a level that they did not have the resource before. So, and I think a lot of that is what you just heard there that, you know, I doubt that they had a whole lot of money to spend on the whole thing, uh, pay the actors and, and, and production value and all that. So sound sounds like that really can take a cheaper low budget movie to a bigger, to a higher level. So that that's just, a good point about that. 
Um, episodic TV um, is something I've been doing for a long time. And uh, I have to say, I've discovered something about it that I think is really unique in, uh, in the realm of sound editing, which is that uh, features, for instance, uh, by the time the sound editing crew comes on, uh, you know, the, the shooting is done, the actors and the crew are long gone. Um, most of the time, even the picture editor is finished with their work. Then the sound editors come on at the very end and, you know, they're there and they're working and everyone who was working on the film might have been a year before, you know, especially with the big feature. Um, and they live in kind of their own world. In, in episodic TV, it's not that way. We are really kind of all there at the same time. Um, we are working on the show Quantico right now, but you know all of the other shows that we've done is the same, same idea. Um, they're writing, they're shooting, they're acting, we're doing our sound work, they're editing. It's all happening at the same time. I mean, we're, there are shows we're gonna be working on in another month or two that aren't even written yet. <coughs> you know, they have an outline, but so so we are part of. I at least feel like I'm part of this whole process of this project um, in a way that's that's like I said, that's unique. Features are not that way. You know, I can be working on ADR or sound or whatever or dialogue and go down to the set where they're shooting and see what's going on for something coming down the road in a few weeks. So it's interesting and it's it's nice. Um, a show like an average hour episode for broadcast TV is generally about 42 minutes of content because of the commercials. Um, shows that show on premium TV like HBO and Showtime, they are a full hour because there's no commercials. So they generally get more time to work on them because there is just more to do. You know, it's 20 minutes more worth of material that has to be worked on. Um, but the model for television episodic sound editing is generally, uh, we get a week, we get five days from the time that we receive the project, the, the episode, to work to cut all the, uh, the sound parts. Um, I have a crew, generally about three other sound editors and an assistant working with me, and we divide it up, um, dialogue, sound effects, ADR Foley. Um, and there's also a music editor. That's music editor, yes. The music editor is generally hired by the, by, right, he's hired by the picture department. He's kind of a department unto himself. We don't, here at Soundtrack, we don't do the music editing, but of course a very integral part. Um, and he does more than just edit the music. He <coughs> will suggest temp music to make scenes work. Um, you know, out of his library or the library of stuff from the previous season or other shows to, to set up a show once, you know, once the picture's cut, they have to start making the scenes work. And he, so he will do that. I don't know how many people really understand. I mean, some people are sound people here, but maybe there others aren't. So I don't know if you know what dialogue editing even means. I mean, everybody knows what sound effects editing is because everybody understands sound effects. Um... I, I like to say, though, there's more to sound editing than uh, spaceships, robots, and dinosaurs. You know, uh, that's the flashy stuff. But the stuff that really makes the show work, especially in television, which is often dialogue heavy, 
is the dialogue edit. And the point of that is to smooth the dialogue out so the pieces flow from one into the other. If you heard the dialogue when it just came from the picture editor, it would sound very choppy and broken up and, and fragmented. You know, you, you would have, a, you, you might not understand exactly what's going on if you listen to it, but it would be annoying. And the purpose of dialogue editing is to smooth out all the cuts, to overlap them, to blend them, and to make the dialogue filled out and make the pieces work. It's, it's really perhaps the most crucial part of the sound editing process. And uh, uh, sound dialogue editors don't get much praise, but they do a, a very, it's a very tedious job, but it's very, very important. Foley, I guess everybody knows, that's where you recreate the footsteps and the props and so forth. ADR is uh, automated dialogue replacement, where you record ad lines or replacement lines in a studio. Right? You understand what I'm talking about, right? And like I said, uh, you know, the picture editors get generally two weeks to cut an episode. You know, television, it has to move because the shows are done, they have to be prepared, and they have to get on the air. So uh, they get about two weeks, we get about a week, and we get about between two and three days to mix the episode. And that's where Bobby takes over. Okay, so the workflow that I would get after the editors, we have a team of editors, they'll spend their week in editing. Um, the workflow that I'm doing now on Quantico is I'll spend uh, the first day on Monday just doing a dialogue mix. And all I'm gonna concentrate on is the dialogue. Um, I'll smooth it out, mix in ADR, mix in the uh, loop group. This way I have a nice clean palette to work with when I move on the next day to the music and effects. And that's when Dan, I mix Quantico with Dan. Dan is the second mixer with me. So that makes the second and third day that much easier or we could work in uh, wider strokes because I've got the dialogue already taken care of. And then uh, we'll mix the second day, and then the third day is um, we'll, we'll finish it up in the morning till, till lunchtime. And then we do a playback for ourselves with uh, uh, the post supervisor. We'll do a playback, we'll make, make notes, we'll make changes, you know, do all our notes. And then the executive producer, the showrunner, um, will come later that day and we'll do a playback for them. And then we spend the rest of the day addressing the notes. And then we get a tape, we put the relay back to tape, and then it gets sent out for air. So the, the process of getting it from editorial to the time we put it on tape is, you know, a, a quick, you know, quick three days. And we do this every week. So it's a weekly grind. So <clears throat> that's the workflow. And I wanted to mention, to talk about the limitation or the difference of mixing for film or even uh, independent film versus TV. When you mix for film, it's gonna be played in the theater. When you mix for TV, it's gonna be played on a lot of different mediums. It's gonna be played, somebody may have a home theater, somebody may have a little TV in their kitchen, somebody's gonna watch it on their iPad, somebody's gonna watch it on the train, on their phone. So <clears throat> there's a lot, you know, there's a lot, a lot of things you have to take into account in the mix of where you think people are gonna to listen to it. Um, when you mix for a film, there's an industry standard level that all theaters and studios set their room level to. And it's, it's, they determine that by just playing a, a simple tone through the studio and there's a, an instrument that measures it and they hit a mark and they set the level and you know every mix that 
you're mixed from a film, no matter what studio or theater you go to, it's going to play back at the same level. In TV, it's treated a little differently. In TV, we have a, uh, a piece of equipment that measures the dialogue track. And there's a magic number that you have to hit. And um, almost every, pretty much every uh, broadcast is 24, right? Minus 24. So they measure it, and you have to hit this minus 24 measurement on the piece of equipment. So once you learn what your monitor level should be for you to obtain that 24, you'll find out that compared to a film mix, I have to lower my monitor 8 dB. So it's a lot lower for me in the studio compared to a film. So once I lower my monitor and I start bringing my level up for the dialogue, now my overall program is really loud. But you only have so much headroom to mix with. Then on top of that, the uh, ABC tells us that, you know, if this is the max headroom, I can't go to there. I have to go 6 dB lower. So now my dialogue is up here. They're only allow allowing me to go this loud. So you have a very, very thin dynamic range. And that's the biggest difference between film and TV. And you have to learn tricks to make things louder, tricks to um, to do with dialogue, uh, to get it to sound smooth. You have to take into, a, uh, into account commercials. You know, when you do a, uh, an episodic TV show that's on ABC, every 15 minutes, every 10 minutes, you're going to get interrupted by a commercial break. So you got to make sure that your program level matches the commercial level so people aren't chasing the volume. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the good thing about doing a show for HBO is once they hit play in the beginning, it stays at that level the whole time. They never get interrupted. Uh, you, know, you, don't, you don't have to take that into account. Um, okay. Anything else? Uh, one interesting point uh, Bob raised, which, which you should grasp, too, about television, is he mentioned the showrunner. Yeah, it's um, yeah. yeah uh, and features, generally speaking, the director is the leader, <coughs> is the head guy. If it's a director who has you know any kind of power or something, yeah, like, and, and a feature will be the director and the picture editor. Right, that's and, usually calling the shots on this stage. And, and in television, you know, there are directors. There are directors who shoot every episode, but they are not the power people. Um, the showrunner is the head person. He is the lead executive producer of the show and uh, these are you know powerful people you know throughout the industry um, and they're not they usually don't direct sometimes they do but they are the head person and they everything funnels up through that one th through the showrunner uh, and that person gets the ultimate say until of course it goes on to the network who has to you know accept it or not but it, it's an interesting difference, uh, very different from features. But so, it kind of works. So I'm going to play a clip, and you'll, I don't know if you'll notice it, if, but you'll, you may notice that you just can't get as loud as you can for a feature film. In feature film, what stops you from being loud in, in some cases is the threshold of pain. It's like some cases, <laughs> like, it's like, you got to lower that. It's too loud. The client might tell you to lower it, and uh, um, you have to also keep, keep that into account that you don't want to you know, blast people out of the room. Um, you've, in, a, in, a, in a theater, you've got five speakers, you know, speakers just all over, speakers on top. 
I can just blast people out of the room on TV. You don't have that. So, gunshots on television don't sound anything like in the theater. That's the hardest thing. Is <laughs> this is from Quantico. Yeah. Last season. This one twenty two can be that one too. So just one two. You want the head of one twenty two? Or two flat? So right at two hours is going to be episode two. That's the beginning of it. Yeah, we have we have the last one. Okay. No, just to make sure it's tight. My name is Alex Parrish. Protecting our country had always been my dream, but my life took a very drastic turn. I am not responsible for Grand Central. Somebody stole my plans, fixed the flaws, and used them for themselves. You are not invisible. Even Senator's purse is an identical bottle. You don't need to swap it out. It's safe. You can let it go. You told me it was going to be okay, and I had to live with that. They set off bomb. Thousands of people would die. Bomb's missing. Terrorists took it. Where is Miranda? I should have known. Ah! Blaming me for Chicago. I'm gonna get fired. And I won't even collect my pension. Well, it's a good thing you have a friend who can give you a job. How do you feel about Quantico?
this apartment for her, Agent Goodwin. Okay, my friend gets a sublet, Alex gets a deal, everybody wins. This time you got too far. This you have many secrets. If you want me to keep them, do exactly what I say. Don't say nothing. Keep your hands on the wheel. Don't turn around. This is for me. Right. Why didn't you kill me? I thought you'd enjoy watching it all burn down to the ground with me. You ready? Jacob Rubikoff, I'm Tom Fleischman. Hello. Uh, how many of you guys have never been in a mixing studio before? Has everyone done mixes, been in a mix? Okay, good. <clears throat> um, there's, a, uh, there's an enormous difference between working in high budget even medium budget feature films uh, as opposed to television and independent uh, low budget features. Uh, and I think the biggest thing is uh, that there's a lot more time to really get nuanced and get very detailed in the mix. Uh, in, in, in these other Aspects, you know, I've worked in all all aspects of film and television. I've done f features, I've done television shows and documentaries and low budget. Um, but with a, a feature where they've given you enough time to really get in there and go through the tracks one by one, listen to all the tracks that have been recorded for every shot, very often... Uh, the production mixer will uh, record multiple microphones and the picture department will get a mix of those microphones and they'll cut with that and then that's what gets turned over to the editorial team uh, 
uh, and then it winds up in the mix and you don't have time to go through and find which of those multiple microphones has the best recording. Uh, with, a, with a feature film, we have time to do that. Uh, usually um, on a normal feature, I'll have 10 days at least just to work on the dialogue. Um, and sometimes more, depending on the length of the show and the, and the size of the budget. Um, and I will go through and I will listen to every mic on every shot and find the best one or find the best combination of microphones uh, that makes the picture play. I mean, the, the thing that I'm really big on is that a film or a, any, any kind of visual, audiovisual production media is telling a story, whether it's a documentary, whether it's an independent feature, a television show, or a feature film. It's all about telling a story. And the story begins with words on a page. It's written as a script. That's how it starts. And unless the audience is brought into the world that the writer is writing about and becomes, forgets where he's sitting, forgets that he's sitting in his living room, forgets that he's sitting in a movie theater, uh, and gets involved in the story, the, 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 it's a failure. Um, if, if they're turning around and asking the person next to them, what did that guy say? I missed that line. Or there's something out of sync. Or uh, there's something that's too loud or too soft. Or there's sound effects missing. Any of those things will snap the audience member out of the story. And they'll start thinking about the fact that they're watching a film. And that's something that we do not want. So if you have the time... You can avoid doing that by being very careful about what you play and how it's played. Um, and obviously, you know, we've, we've talked about the different aspects, the dialogue and the music and the sound effects. Um, uh, the relationships between those things are what tells the story. And in any film, in any kind of project, at any given moment, there is one thing that you want to feature that needs to be heard in order to tell the story. Whether it's a note of the music or a drum beat or a line of dialogue or a sound effect, there's something that's going to be louder than everything else. And it's a matter of finding those balances so that when the audience is sitting watching the film, they are completely unaware that anything has been added. Um, I like to tell a story that uh, uh, an experience that I had when I first met my wife and she found out what I did and she came in here and she watched one day and uh, you know we were working on Foley's and this was a long time ago uh, you know it was much simpler than it is now but we were doing some Foley work and there was like a chair squeak or something that I was putting in and, and at the end, she said, you know, I never realized how much went into this. I always thought they just put a microphone up and everything was there. Um, <clears throat> and I think that, you know, many, many people don't understand what kind of detail work and, and, and how difficult it is to make 
something play dramatically. Um, uh, anything can snap that audience member out of the, out of the story. And so um, I don't, you know, my feeling about mixing is that the uh, first thing I want to do is make sure that the dialogue is clear and clean and intelligible. And then everything else gets built around that. The foundation of the whole track is the dialogue. And everything else is really, you know, I mean, obviously sound effects and music are very important. Um, uh, but without hearing the dialogue and, and, and without having everything sort of anchored to that, it becomes very easy to get, go down a rabbit hole and, you know, you wind up, let's make the music louder. Now, now the dialogue's too low and we'll make the dialogue louder. And pretty soon the, the whole thing is ear splitting and, you know, you got to start from scratch and go back. And um, it's just better if you can start by taking the time. And unfortunately, in independent features and television, they don't give us the time to do that. Um, uh, you know, to, to mix a whole feature film in one week. Uh, God, I feel for these guys, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I don't see how you can really do your job in that short amount of time. I think it's, it's, it's a sin. It's not fair to the audience. Um, so, you know, no disrespect to Dan <laughs> and, and Rick. But, you know, something's got to give. In, in, you know, I don't know how many of you guys are producers, but give your sound crew a budget because we're the redheaded stepchild of the whole budgetary process. Right. And at the end of the, you know, the mix comes at the end of the whole process. All the money's already been spent. You gotta figure out a way to, you know, give us a break and let us really do a good job because it, it does take time. And there's a lot that has to be done. Um, so the process, you know, they've been explaining, it's, it's really no different in features we start uh, Jacob will talk about editing, uh, but in terms of, you know, when he brings the project to me, he's put in all this work. There've, there've been a number of different, uh, crews, uh, dialogue, ADR, music, sound effects, Foley, uh, that have been preparing this stuff for weeks. And then we get it in here and it's my job to try and figure out how to put it together. Jake, you want to? Sure. <laughs> I think a lot has been between all of us. A lot about the process has already been covered. So, but what I want to do is move to one particular project that Tom and I worked together on uh, just about 10 years ago in this very room, uh, 2006. Movies uh, Failure to Launch. It's a romantic comedy, Matthew McConaughey and Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, and you might think, oh, you know, okay, a romantic comedy, it's not a big deal, you know, you know, what could, what, what could go wrong or what, you know, how much work could that be? Well, I started as the supervisor in early September and I worked solidly through, from early September through February of the following year. So this is a movie that was about a hundred minutes long. Um, I had at one point, uh, you know, Everyone's already covered that the basic departments for us are dialogue, the production sound that's recorded on location, ADR and group ADR, so the looping that's done, you know, actors brought back into the studio to redo the, their lines of dialogue or add new lines that have been written. Um, 
uh, Foley, which is the physical movement uh, and sound effects and backgrounds. So I'm going to show, we're going to show in a, in a couple of minutes, we're going to show a clip of one scene. It's about a minute long. This was a movie that had a lot of cartoonish elements, uh, animals that talked, uh, that where the, the main character kind of understood the animal speak uh, and some kind of zany, fun, um, cartoonish kind of sound effects, which I got to do. That was the fun part. But as the manager, as the manager, as a supervising sound editor of this behemoth, studio movie, there was one, at one point in this process, uh, going from sem September through um, February, at one point in this process, I had on my crew, I had 19 people. So it was, and at that point, the reason I had 19 people at that point is that we were um, simultaneously in one week, we were <coughs> doing the fifth temp, temp mix for the movie. And the movie was going uh, to test screenings to test in front of audiences so the studio could, Paramount could get scores and try to make the movie funnier, 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 more romantic, more romantic, you know, and there was just this <laughs> drive to kind of push this number up and, and you know, and, and, and the movie would get shown at one of these test screenings and then someone would decide we have to write funnier lines and stick them in off camera. So, you know, we'd... It was just an endless process of this, this amazing uh, amount of minutia of, of little details. Um, so we had a temp mix. We had started the pre-dubs for, uh, for the movie. And then we, we even, I think, started finaling at the end of that week. So this was all in one week. And there were 19 people in that one crazy week. Um, so yeah, it's a, I think it's, you know, studio, studio project is a matter of scale. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a matter of, of executives and producers weighing in and deciding, you know, what's the right formula? Is this really going to work for an audience test screening and, and a really um, complex process, right? So, okay, let's... Uh, one other thing. Yeah. I just want to add one other thing that is a really huge difference for us as the, as the people that are working on the film is that usually with an independent feature or television show, when the picture gets to the mix, it's pretty well locked. They don't make a lot of picture changes once the mix begins. With features, that's not the case. Um, the, the, the editorial, the film editor and the director are continuing to work on refining the cut. And we start pre-dubbing, which is starting to boil the, you know, the multiple, multiple tracks down to a manageable size. That's what pre-dubbing is. We just take the dialogue, we just work on that, and we take it from, you know, 16 tracks into eight tracks or whatever. Uh, just something that we can, you know, that you can get two hands on. Uh, and while we're doing that, you know, they're, they're back in the cutting room changing the picture. So, uh, you know, as soon as we get done with a reel, we might get another turnover where we've got to go back in and make the changes and you know this off always involves changes in length and new shots are put in or shots are changed or they decide they you know want to change a line so they got to get the actor and he's got to come and record the new line um, uh, that you know th this kind of always is just constantly having to update work that we've already done so that just adds a whole other layer of complexity to it so you know as as uh, filmmakers everyone should just be 
cognizant of the fact that, yeah, you know, okay, you see something and you want, you want to change it, but the uh, it's it's really important just to think about the what that is going to cause, you know, what the consequences of that can be. Um, you know, we've had, uh, gosh, um, you know, scores that have been thrown out three days before we're supposed to do the printmaster, and you know, they've hired a new composer, and they take a week hiatus, and, and there's a deadline, there's a release date, and you know, anything can happen with with when you have a budget and there's money to spend. Really, anything can happen. So that's just another aspect. <laughs> Right, okay, so so this scene is about a minute long, and and I'm going to show it. We're going to show it to you eight ways. The first way is going to be what we get from the picture department. So you know they've been cutting on an Avid or Final Cut or other type of system, and we we get their track. And you'll hear you know they've they've you know Tom was talking about them getting a mix and they're not necessarily the best mics that they've chosen. You're going to hear that. You're going to hear some weird echoiness. So you'll hear that first. Then you're going to hear just the production, just the dialogue that went into the scene without ADR. So you'll see some places where there are holes. Then you're going to hear just the ADR without the production. Then you're going to hear how the ADR and production were mixed together to, to be... Uh, Tom did an amazing job because they shot this movie in New Orleans in the summertime, there was air conditioners, there was, there was all kinds of horrible, disgusting, ugly tone behind these characters. Not romantic, not funny, ugly. And, and um, you know, all of, all of that was there. And I just remember when Tom started, uh, he didn't do the first few temp mixes, and he came in for the last one or two, and then the rest of the mixing, all the rest. And, and when he started on the dialogue pre-dub, and several other mixers had tried to clean up the dialogue, and then all of a sudden, he, you know, I started to, to get reels to do the effects pre-dub, uh, kind of a day, you do the effects pre-dub a day behind the dialogue pre-dub so you can get, you can hear what the dialogue mixer affects to the mixed dialogue. My jaw dropped, like, wow, wizardry. Like, it was amazing just how clean and how beautiful the voices sounded. I really didn't think it was humanly possible. So. So you'll hear ADR and dialogue, then you'll hear just the uh, backgrounds, you know, just the atmosphere with nothing else. Then you'll hear just the Foley. So Foley is all this kind of sync uh, physical movement. And then you'll finally hear some effects that I put in at the end, you know, to give the scene a little more fun and drama and stuff. And then finally you'll see the entire scene, uh, the, the whole track with music as well the way it finally played um, in the movie when it finally came out. And I think we'll see everything to a work picture, so you'll see time code and all kinds of crazy numbers, but uh, you'll, you'll get a, an idea of, um, of all the layers that go into it. So, you wanna? Oh, yeah. That's not an expensive mic, then. No, not that one. <laughs>
So this is just the guide track from the picture department first. <laughs> so I mean, that's not bad. You know, the, all the basic elements are there. The music is a temp piece of temp music that's going to, you'll hear once you hear the final music, that will have changed. So now this is just, uh, this is just production dialogue. So just what was recorded on location. And now this is uh, only ADR that was added. <laughs> now this is um, background. Uh, dialogue plus ADR. Oh, di sorry, dialogue plus ADR, so you can see them how they fit together. Background. background. The next is, is going to be Foley only. How many tracks of VGs was that? That was probably about. Three or four, cool. you know, a tone, an air. Uh, the, you know, you you work in layers. It's probably an air, uh, a bird track, and an insect track. Some of the insects in the background, and I don't know if there might have been another one or not. But those would have been like the three basic ones. And then the effects. There were no added effects until about halfway through the scene. And that's it. <laughs> I think we probably spent the better part of a day just on that little scene right there. Oh, easily, <laughs> easily. In the yeah. final wow. The better part of a day. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. Uh, we also have one little clip from uh, Wolf of Wall Street, which is a little, the reason I wanted to show this is because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's got some voiceover and it's got some sync dialogue and a lot of music. Um, and it's all woven. I mean, this is one of those cases where, you know, every, at, at any moment there's something that's important to hear. Um, so. This is from the beginning of the movie, sort of set up. So, you know, there's just a whole lot of ups and downs and, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the little bit in the helicopter there, um, I'm just going to play the dialogue part of that for a moment, because there's production, there's ADR, and uh, they did some weird thing with the picture, so we had a lot of problems with the sync. I remember we had a hell of a time getting this in sync because they did some kind of morphing. I don't, I'm not quite sure what it was. Drove us crazy. <laughs> this is all ADR. That's production. You can hear when the noise comes in. When it's clean, you know, that, that's ADR. When you hear that noise coming in, that's the production track. Now, in this part here, uh, <coughs> It was a matter of, I mean, the, the challenge here was with the music. Uh, Marty was very, very particular about wanting to hear certain lines of the lyric. And those had to, you know, this, the first half of it would be under the end of the line of dialogue. So it was a bit of a chore to get this to work. You know, that was right there was a particularly difficult transition because the beginning of his line is soft. If they take the music out and you hear the line by itself, um, 
you'll hear how he kind of swallows the beginning of it here. And there's also that sound of the door on top of it. Um, they didn't want to, they didn't want to loop it. So, um, in that case, it was the guitar. Mm. You know, they want to hear the guitar. So that, you know, that this isn't the kind of thing that you can't do on a television show. You can't go to that that great of a detail, really. It's very it's very difficult to, because that takes time. It's time consuming to do that stuff. So um, that's about it for us, I guess, unless you've got anything else you want to add. Yeah, that's it. Open it up for questions. Till everybody else can ask the questions. Because yeah, you could start ready. it off. I'm not a bully. There you go. All right. Well, I got a question for every single section. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So my indie mix peeps. Um, my question for you guys is: uh, What do you guys? How do you guys get your assets? So, for example, when there's seven takes of one line, right? Um, how do you? How do you ask them? How do you ask? to get what you need in order to do your job properly? Like, on the, on the Andy side, that's, that's more an appropriate question, because we found out early when we started to do a lot more indie work that we had to be much more specific and very hard-nosed about how the deliverable and turnover was listed. I mean, we, you guys have developed a, a, you need, a, like, a, efficiency. A, pretty, a pretty solid list of, like, we have to have this, we have to yeah. have this. You can speak to it more than I can. Yeah, so. we have a very detailed list of exactly what you know we we, we need, and, and for different programs too. Hopefully, they cut an avid. If if not, Final Cut can give us less things than avid, uh, and there's it, could, it just gets worse from Maybe there. Maybe I can bug <laughs> you about this later. <laughs> cool. Yeah. You know, I because I work on a lot of indies too, and one thing I've done when it's really really tight, I've asked for people in the picture department or the director to help me out. So for example, to choose ADR, we re record ADR, send it all to the director, let the director choose it, and uh, or I've asked in a turnover if the picture editor it, or the assistant, if there is one, could put all of the mics in the uh, OMF or in the AAF and send us all the mics in the AAF below the mix tracks uh, right. so that that doesn't have to be put together on our end. So if, if that's the case, sorry if I'm interrupting, mm -hmm. interrupt me if I'm interrupting you. Okay, right. I will. Um, if that's the case, do you ask, for example, like a, a dialogue only OMF and et cetera? That way you can, well, I guess it would just be dialogue only. But like, uh, I don't know, how do you, how do you, because when you export OMF, sometimes they have to be a specific gig, otherwise it won't export or whatever. So yeah, OMF, right, OMF yeah. So right. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah, and there, there have been, there's, there has been a program that has been able to circumvent that two gig limit, uh, automatic duck, and I haven't worked with anyone with that in a year or two, and these things change all the time. But there yeah. was a period where you were able to use that program in conjunction with, um, I think, an Avid. I don't know if it worked with Final Cut. And it was able in some way to circumvent that limit and, 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 and there could be a turnover, like an embedded uh, OMF or AF where you could go more go over the two gigs. But it was, I, you know, it was just okay. something that cool. I, I never used it because it was a picture side thing. Sure. So they would do it and then turn over larger cool. AFs. 
Awesome. Sometimes what we do also is ask for an AAF of just the first two tracks. Yeah. Since that will probably just hit Have the two the, gig limit, the and then the next the two will probably yeah. hit two. Right. And then you can grab the next five or six because there's less stuff on cool. those next five or cool. six tracks, you know. Awesome. I, I have more, but I'm, again, I'm going to wait. <laughs> I'm polite. I'm a lady. I have a question. Um, for the episodic and indie folks, have you ever, I'm sure you have, but how do you deal with a director or producer or showrunner who is looking for the nuanced attention that this Wall Street sequence has, but you may have to sacrifice those sort of nuanced details because of time constraints <laughs> and, and various budgets for various budget reasons. How do you deal that deal with that? Um, they'll ask for it and in most cases we'll have to we'll have to deliver and we'll end up working a long day. Yeah, it, 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 it there's one we simple do. word. Uh, Billy, sorry. It's, 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 it's overtime. <laughs> yeah, the question is, is overtime approved? Right. <laughs> I can give an example of our yeah. first. We just we did the uh, the premiere of uh, season two last week. And it was that case where, you know, it's the premiere, so you're going to try to put more, you know, there's yeah. a lot of attention paid to that show because it's going to be the first one of the season. We work till four, four in the morning. We left there, yeah. It was four in the morning when yeah. we left there. So it, we give it the attention, and it all we just the clock just keeps going. We just keep <coughs> going, and we eventually stopped at four. We were done and went home and delivered the show the next day. But uh, we just don't say sorry. We don't have the time, um, and hopefully. Right, but I mean, if overtime wasn't in the budget, then you know you run into <coughs> yeah. a problem. Right? Yeah, then you but get most of the cases, if the if the showrunner has a, a has a sensibility about it, they they'll prioritize their notes. And, yeah. we'll, and we'll know that they can't give you eight hours worth of notes. Okay. Yeah, it, 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 it's a matter of kind of putting the onus on them a little bit, of, of teaching them a bit of how to prioritize their work, of just when you start working through, and they, when you feel them start to go down those holes where they get really focused and very tunnel vision on a moment, you can go, this is a great idea, I want to pursue this, we have a lot of other stuff to get to, let's make sure the ADR sounds like it works first, you know, and and then let's get back to this. And you kind of have to, that's what I find I do. I try to direct them from kind of broad swaths and kind of like, let's get through the reel and then then we'll get there. You know, it, you just kind of pin it. You so have sort to, of dictate you, the process. You, yeah, when it's really yeah. tight, you, just, you can't hit everything. Right. You know, and then, it's, you know, and you're never really done mixing yeah. anyways. You so warn them, you tell you that this note could take a couple hours to do. You let yeah. them know and they say, okay, let's wait for that. We'll do that last. If we have the time, we'll do it. And, and I've had directors push back and say, no, I, I like I want it this way, let's do it now. And I go, okay, let's do it. Yeah, like somehow it's, it's, the, the, it's their clock. If, so. if, it's, if, it's, if the person in charge wants it done, somehow they always seem to find the money to get it done. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah. Um, if it's somebody else, you know, then I'm sorry, we don't have time for that. You know. But then as, the sh as, you keep, as, you, as you do shows, you know, week after week, eventually you learn the showrunners... Uh, sensibilities, you learn what he likes, what he doesn't like, and uh, in most cases it gets a little easier. Um, we won't, we, we, you know, the, the show won't, won't get unraveled when we play it back and we'll only spend a couple of hours on our notes, we won't spend eight hours. So it's always the first show and the last show that's the hardest, and then in the middle you kind of just grind through it. And it's very frustrating for, for me, I mean when I'm working in television, 
I was working on, you know, Boardwalk Empire and vinyl. And uh, those are, I had a luxurious schedule. I had five days per episode to mix, which, you know, is pretty much unheard of. Um, uh, I don't know how I got that lucky. But even then, I, it was frustrating for me to have to cut corners all the time. I was, I, I was constantly wanting to finesse things because, you know, I'm a perfectionist and uh, I don't like to let things go, you know, half-baked. But sometimes you just got to put on that hat and say, you know, look, you know, I've got to get through this. I've got, got to get to this point and, you know, get this episode finished today. So I can't spend an hour on this little scene. You know, I've got to just lay it down and move on. And it's frustrating. It really is. It's it's very difficult. So a question about uh, music. This is for all of you. Um, when you're laying in the music tracks, how often do you work with stems versus just a stereo mix? Uh, well, I don't know how it works in, in indies, but for example, in, uh, in this film, um, all of the there was not a lot of score. It was mostly needle drops. So those those came from stereo sources, and basically we just had the stereo source. We didn't have splits. If you're talking about a composed score, it's almost always in stems. Uh, and you know you'll have an orchestra stem. You'll have lead instruments and break down the choir and keyboards or whatever. You so, you have full control so and you have full control, and, and but that's a mix that's been done by the composer mm -hmm. and the scoring mixer. So they give us a mix, but the mix is broken down into stems so that we have some control and we can alter that mix. And it's the same way for episodic too. We'll usually get stems, you know, up to twelve pairs. Um, the composer uh, can deliver it that way. He'll give us a stereo mix down for the editor to work with, but. After that, he'll deliver individual stems. And that just makes it easier for the editor to edit and work with music. If we have to take a drum hit out or sweeten in a little area, they can do that kind of stuff with the stems. Right. I, I usually request the mix uh, and start there and then have the stems available if needed. I like to tie their hands a little bit to the mix, honestly, just right. on a timeline. Like, I try to not open up the can of worms of let's mm -hmm. mix this cue unless it's something that it's really being asked for. So but there's a, no. It's more of a hit game, but. No, it's true. <laughs> I mean, that that would be a, a a good and common strategy. But there's no rule. I remember an indie project where, you know, one of the rules of thumb is never let the composer into the into the mix. <laughs> and on this one particular project, the composer came in for a day, and there was one reel where he had score that ran the entire length of the reel. Um, but he knew that it wasn't all to be used and between um, and I was mixing and I had also done the sound design and the director and the composer and I were there and we were all on the same page and in you know like half a day we really navigated through these stems and you know just between the sound effects and the dialogue and the music we're able to carve something out that made a lot of sense and because we were all there and we were all focused on it you know it didn't even take too long relatively so you know anything's possible really Hi. so when you guys have the budget and you can ask for you know adr lines for a scene do you rather have the whole scene adr so you can if you have to you can match it or you just ask for the lines like usually usually though sometimes it's just a word 
you know. Yeah. Uh, so it depends on what the reason for it is. Uh, there's a whole number of reasons why ADR is done. You know, it's either for a bad sound, you know, uh, a technical problem, or a script problem, or a performance problem, right? So, uh, depending on what that is, it, it varies. I mean, sometimes it's if it's a bad sound, if there's a you know environmental issue, you know, you're 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 making a movie about the 16th century and you're shooting in the flight path of LaGuardia Airport, uh, <laughs> that that's, can be a problem. And, and obviously, sometimes the whole track is unusable. And then it just becomes a guide track and they ADR the whole scene. Um, uh, usually, uh, I try and use as little of the ADR as possible, mostly, unless, it's, unless there's some reason why the production is no good. Um, so um, if it's a matter of a line or a couple of lines, I'll just have them, I'll just ask for those lines. And then maybe not even use all of it. Maybe just use part of the line, uh, and that's easy to do. Yeah. If uh, on the other side of that, and this is just from from my point of view, if if you have to loop say ninety percent of the scene for some technical issue, it's cracked all over the mic. There's some issue. Give give me the last ten percent of the scene too. Yeah. Just because. Yeah, you don't want to have be stuck because you have a noisy track, and they loop half the half the scene. But then you're having stuck putting that noisy background under the ADR. If yeah. it's a matter of the fact that the, there's a big problem with the environment, then they should loop everything. And then you don't necessarily have to use it. There might be a cleaner production, or you might find a cleaner mic, that you know a lavalier or something that's cleaner uh, that you can use from production. But you're not that way. At least you have the option. You know, if they don't yeah. record it, then you don't have the option. Picture editor, and uh, I just curious, like, um, is there, like, are there any wish lists for the picture editor? <laughs> like, in terms of, like, you know, sound, you know. <coughs> I don't know. I mean, I think from a workflow standpoint, yeah. the, that's an easy one. The wish list is a locked picture before we start. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and then we're the the, the whole process of. And we, it's already been uh, talked about, but the whole process of conforming and changing uh, sound as the picture changes really is, I think, Tom was talking about this, it really is labor intensive. Mm -hmm. And it really is, and when, when we're, how many times have we been told by a picture department, oh, there are not that many changes, or the changes are small. And that might mean there's a frame taken out or added in every scene. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even one small change, it, it, there's, a, there's a kind of apparatus. It's a snowball. Yeah, and there's a, there's a, there are a number of things you have to do just to make one change. Mm -hmm. So it's just compounded. So, you know, I mean, that would be, you know, that's rare, but every now and then. And the happens. other thing is, the further you're into the mix, the more difficult it becomes, because then you've got, particularly on a feature film like this, You've got pre-dubs that need to be conformed, and then you've got stems that need to be conformed. And sometimes you have a printmaster that needs to be conformed, depending on, you know, sometimes they'll be making changes after the printmaster's done. And, uh, you know, that just becomes layers and layers and layers of work. So the less of that, the better. Are you, Are you keeping track of every, every time you create the next level, basically? You go down yeah. to the stems, go down to the... 
So are you keeping track of everything you're doing? Oh, absolutely. Like, okay, we've got like six mics on this one. We've only taken these two mics. And if they yeah. add... Well, if, it depends on which... I mean, if you're just conforming the pre-dub, obviously the, the elements also need to be conformed. The original elements need to be conformed, which is all of those mics. Yeah. Um, and then the pre-dub needs to be conformed. And if you're into the final mix, then the stem mix, stem mix needs to be conformed as well. Yeah, but, but what this means is a very... Um, organized system now with you know, everything being digital sure. a very organized system of progression of storing all of these files each one gets a date and it gets saved as a level which leads to the next level to the next level because often you'll get down the line and then someone will say oh but what about what we did way back there yeah. you know hmm. and then you have to go back and 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 find it again yeah so it, it's a, it's a big process of organizing everything and getting a good change list too. You got it. Yeah. 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 How do they how do they communicate the changes? Are you are you are you are you, are you do you need to comb through it every time and find the changes, or mm -hmm. they're good about? Yeah, uh, they're, you they're, they're well, hopefully. Well, I, what you I was just going to say what you really want is and really uh, well what you really want is a is a change list made by the picture department yeah. that's absolutely accurate that reflects what's been taken, you know, where in the cut, a time code or footage where a change has been made, what's been, how, what's been added, what's been taken out, how many frames and feet and frames have been added, taken out, shots have been swapped around. And, and most, you know, avid And has, a cumulative net change. Right. Yeah. That's also very important so that you can check, you know, the computer does the, does the changes, but then you can check that the cumulative net change, so, you, you know, you didn't type in four frames instead of... 48 for you know 40 24 whatever you didn't make a mistake the the cumulative net change you can check that and make sure that that that's also following but that, but there's another part to that too which is a little more uh, a little more difficult because the avid or whatever the computer only understands these changes as numbers so it will give you a list that's just numbers a long list of numbers but what the change really means, sometimes you'll see 40 steps numerically, but you know, it, when I really perform it, it's, oh, it's really just a couple of steps. So the computer does not understand the concept of the change, which is very necessary for keeping all your tracks in line. So and also for passing tricky. it on to other people who yeah, it, are it, seeing it for the first time. You get the list, but you have to understand what the list means. Yeah, and there are also programs that consolidate lists so that it will render a list that's a lot more simplified. And so the, the case that Lou is, is talking about where there are some steps, you can combine the steps and have fewer steps listed on a piece of paper. There's some programs that do that. But I have seen over the years where for whatever reason, the change notes that get get um, output from the Avid, well, Avid is the best, but once you go off of Avid and you're talking <coughs> about Final Cut or something, yeah. forget it. It's like, uh, Changeless used to be a lot better, and I'm not sure why, but they're, they're getting worse and worse. And so a bad change, if you have a bad change list, it's, you're better off not even using a change list and using the guide track and taking the old version and the new version putting them up together, running them down, and then when one diverges from the other, you know a change has been made. But you really don't want to, that's fraught with all kinds of peril and, and can go wrong in different ways. So the change list is really what you really want to have. Yeah. 
One final question, because it's getting a little late. <laughs> 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 it was the last question. Nobody has it. Ronnie. 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 There's so many to choose from. Call us tomorrow. I'm going totally. Uh, All right, well, I guess for me personally, this is definitely an important topic. Um, How do you QC for all the different medias, Uh, for example, TV, cinema, uh, even iPads, headphones, oh God, like all of it. Like how, how do you know that your mix is right on for everybody? It's a learning process, and you gotta you gotta spend the time listening. You go home, and when it's broadcast, listen to it. Simple, motherfucker. And also, you can't you cannot mix for every different time. Yeah, but there is just one mix. There's one mix. There's one mix. Well, sometimes you do it. To rule them all. It's it's it's. it's, I mean, there's one mix, and then you make different versions of that mix. I mean, I might take a feature mix, and if it's you know, someone will ask for a TV version, and you, what you want to do is then lower your monitor, raise the mix, squash down the loud stuff, make it less dynamic. Is that why TV dialogue kind of sounds louder, like kind of kind of tinny in your ear? Yeah. More than what you yeah. Is it, it, it's louder, right? You dialogue on television? Well, it depends uh, on how loud you turn your TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to learn to accept the law of averages yeah. for, for where it's going to play. It's oh, not right. going to once it leaves the studio. Even even going from theater to theater, mm-hmm. it's never going to sound the same. And yeah. the director, the client is always going to come back and say, "I played it. Mm-hmm. You know, I played it at home. It just didn't sound the same." Well, what what did you watch it on? Well, yeah. it was my my living room TV. Is it got little? Yeah, it's got a little. Yeah, just didn't have the base. Of course not. It's, That's you know, the one thing. I, I was just going to say, but, I always lose the, the low but, end. You, know, you go home, and you know, for, especially for broadcast, go home, play it on different TVs in your, in your house, play it on your iPad, learn what things sound like, learn what, how it translates. Because and, even and when... Um, the, I think the clients. Say, look, don't get used to this base that, you, that you're yeah, hearing here, because when you go home, uh, it's <laughs> not going to be right, that. Right. Yeah. The most important thing in, in terms of this question is the mixing room. And your mixing room really does need to be properly calibrated and set up and acoustically treated so that it's it's as as you know uniform as it can be in terms of the uh, the spectrum you know the the uh, frequency range uh, there's you know Dolby will come in and approve a room they you know they put up microphones they run pink noise they analyze it they equalize each speaker they tune the room and then i mean this particular room is the best room i've ever worked in yeah, anywhere we're lucky enough to have rooms that um, we know because i know yeah. this room will translate pretty much well to any any kind of format um now bobby was talking about some of the tools like you know metering yeah uh tools uh but mostly it's you know you, you yeah. gotta you listen you listen to the track you listen you listen and you mix with your ears you don't mix with the meters uh, you mix with your ears and you have to trust in order to be able to do that you have to have an environment that you trust mm-hmm. and that you know and you you you, you uh, have confidence in like when we do Quantico um, when we're done we'll check the level see where it's at and we always 
see how close Bob can get. Yeah. We don't check it. You know, yeah, we, you're not he, thinking about yeah, numbers. He, you're he doing mixes, the mix. So, yeah, right. you finished, what, yesterday? You were supposed to be at minus 24. You were at minus 24.1, 24. I think. 24. I just you missed know, it. Yeah. Pretty close. <laughs> 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 I, expect, I expect better, but, you know, it was, it was pretty But good. you learn. You just, the, you learn you learn where the, the dialogue should sit, and you just you, you just keep hitting that mark, and you, and you, you your sensibility says oh, this is a little too loud, or it's a little low, and uh, it's part of the learning process. But uh, eventually, you'll get there. Okay. Listen to other people's mixes too, yeah. and mm-hmm. and that'll also help you um, figure out where where mm-hmm. levels should be. And also, I think also monitoring for where you think the the thing that you're mixing is going to play the most. Like, is it television? Is it theater? Mm-hmm. Is it even you know? Uh, headphones, whatever it is, because we just finished um, doing Ken Burns Vietnam, and because it's the main medium for that is television, um, we we would start the mix uh, on the big speakers behind the screen so that you know uh, Dominic the mixer would just be able to really hear the detail, you know, and take care of the detail. But by the time Ken came in for playback, we were on two speakers, um, you know, two fairly small speakers without great bass response. Because the idea, yeah, because the idea was that let's reproduce the average person's television and let's let's um, play it for. And this was something that Ken decided we didn't used to do it that way with him. But in the last few years, he felt like. You know, when the when the shows were broadcast, they weren't as dynamic as they were when he was in here. And there was a lot of talk about how could we make them more dynamic, and we decided the answer was to kind of reproduce a little better the average person's listening environment. Now we didn't have, like, barking dogs and, you know, people getting up to get stuff from the refrigerator, but um, at least we had the right um, monitors. You know, we had smaller speakers. So, you know, that's another thing you could do in terms of a, a way of doing that. Thank you. Well, thank you all for attending.